girl Kiki, and this is a damn shame podcast. Thank y'all so much for tuning in. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. I love the. I love Fridays. It's podcast Friday. Let me tell you tonight. You have a real treat, and we have a real treat in store. I'm just gonna get right into our guest this evening. Our special guest tonight. He has, and I'm sure you all have seen the promos because I've been so excited, like super, super excited. Like, yo, I got somebody special on the show tonight. He has been featured in the Black Enterprise magazine. He's done two episodes of Housewives of Potomac. All right, ladies. I think he might be a little, you know, single. <laughs> I don't know. But listen, he is real estate mogul, as I like to call him, Marcel Humphrey. Welcome, Marcel. Thank hey, you for my damn shame. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the yeah. opportunity, Kiki. And I yes. love your energy. <laughs> I love you. your energy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So what do you feel, how do you feel about what's happening with the general election? Well... I really feel like it's, it's definitely time for a change. It's going to be uh, monumental seeing a, a African-American vice president. That's I think that's so huge. Dope. So dope. It so is. Dope. It yeah. is. So listen, myself, mm -hmm. I am super excited that you are here because we have um, so much to talk about. And as I was doing my research on this brother, y'all, it was just his story, his background, everything was so motivating to me. But let me just say this. Tonight's concoction is none other than the equalizer. And it got a little splash of vodka and uh, grenadine. And it's going to equalize this whole... Uh, platform tonight because I'm just like on 10. When we gonna get a president? Oh my gosh, we got Marcel Humphrey <laughs> on the show. So, yes, it's gonna equalize me, Kiki. Okay, so let me tell you this be sure to hit that subscribe button, share the live, tell a friend, tell a friend. We are up in here. What's up? Yes, so, as I said, Marcel is a real estate mogul. And producer lady, I think I'm going to punt this off to you to get started for tonight because we're just going to hop right in it. I don't want to waste no time. I have just been like on pins and needles waiting for this moment. Understand what sparked your in interest and motivated you to become the real estate investor that you are today? How'd you get here? I, I would say uh, a couple of things sparked my interest. I can go all the way back to the 80s when I was growing up in West Baltimore. My mom was a school teacher and uh, she, she loved what she did. Uh, and she would always talk about hitting the lottery. You know, every week she would play the lottery, her and her, her parents, my grandparents. And she would always say if she hit the lottery for a million dollars that she would buy this uh, commercial uh, property up the street from my house, about a block away from my home which was really run down. It was, it was in bad shape. Uh, it was vacant parts of it and they sold drugs like right on the corner. 
of uh, Bell and Garrison. So that was like her dream, her, her vision. And she said she would purchase that property. She would put an ice cream parlor in. She would renovate the apartments, lease the apartments, and put other minority-owned businesses in the, uh, on the first floor levels. It was a barbershop, and there was a, a, sub, a sub shop. And at one point, it was a corner store, but that, that went out of business, I believe. But um, that never happened. Um, she passed away in 93 to sarcoidosis, um, an immune uh, uh, disease and uh, a respiratory disease, a texture respiratory system in your nervous system. Bernie Mac had passed away from that. But uh, all I can remember being eight, nine years old back then, I would say, you know, you hit the lottery. I don't want to go to school anymore. <laughs> I want to go to Disney World every day. I thought a million dollars was a whole lot of money back then. It still is today. But, um, you know, she, she planted those seeds of entrepreneurship. And then as my life went on and, and I got older, you know, real estate has always been around me. I mean, it's been around all of you. We, we live in houses, whether you rent or your parents owned, you know, your grandparents owned, you were always walking in and out of real estate our whole lives. So, you know, just being around it uh, kind of sparked my interest as well. Um, my mom used to watch the, uh, those do-it-yourself TV shows every time she had a chance to take us to open house she would take us to open houses in like Randallstown. I know that's where most of you guys are from and Owens Mills. And then even the million dollar neighborhoods, she would take us like she, at, at, at eight, nine, 10 years old, she was taking us into Guilford and Roland Park and Lutherville, multi-million dollar neighborhoods that, you know, on her $40,000, $50,000 salary, you know, she knew she couldn't afford, but she was just planting seeds like, hey, it's, it's bigger things in life. You know, she always told us, you know, to be better than her. Our parents yeah. always said, you know, yeah. don't be like us, be better than us. Yeah. And she was just planting seeds. And uh, she passed when I was 12. My dad always instilled leadership. Don't ever be a follower, be a leader. You know, he always said that. He always said that. And that kind of is ingrained in myself and my brother's psyches. And uh, when I got to college, I was introduced to network marketing. Uh, I had started a few other businesses before, before that, but uh, when I was introduced to network marketing, I'm, I, I actually uh, was able to meet my first real estate mentor, who I recruited to become a part of my network marketing company, uh, ACN. Uh, I, I, to this day, I love network marketing. I think it's a great concept, especially for someone that has no experience as an entrepreneur because it gets you ready for rejection. Um, it also uh, grows you. You have to grow. And, you know, you really have to grow. If you want to increase your income, I don't care if you're working a nine to five or, your own, or you own your own business, you have to grow as, a, as an individual, uh, physically, spiritually, you know, and financially. Uh, and when I say financially, you, as far as literacy, like there's a lot of things missing in the education system that really doesn't really set most of us up. Uh, for success. So, you know, it, it forced me to grow when I was involved with that network marketing company. I had to study. I had to become a, a junkie to personal growth and development and uh, ended up meeting my first mentor. He showed me, to be quite, quite honest, he showed me two checks and I had never seen that type of money in my life. Um, as far as someone that I know that was earning this type of money, he showed me a check written out to Land Rover. It was between 32 and 37,000. Dollars. He was paying off his Range Rover 4.6. If you if you know if you 
from that era. <laughs> you understand? Yeah, yeah this is early two thousand. Definitely a big deal. This is uh, two thousand. This is like two thousand three, and uh, he was like thirty two. Wow. He's thirty two. I was like twenty, and uh, and then he showed me a check for one hundred and twenty seven thousand, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Hey, where I'm do in. I start? Where mm-hmm. do I start?" Mm-hmm. And he wasn't recruiting me or anything. I was just like, "Man, I work for you for free." Yeah. So I, I worked for him in D.C. in the Washington D.C. Uh, real estate market for eight months. I was at Morgan State University. I was working part-time at the Social Security Administration, and I was also coaching high school basketball at Northern High School. Uh, they have renamed the school Reginald F. Lewis, who was a pioneer and, a, and, and one of my heroes from Baltimore, Reginald F. Lewis. Um, but, um, yeah, I was, I was driving down to Bellsville, Maryland every day. We would, then we would drive to D.C. in the evening, and uh, we would canvas certain neighborhoods, and within eight months, I saw this guy uh, make over a million dollars, $1.3 million in eight months. And uh, yeah. I was I was hooked on real estate ever yeah. since. I was hooked yeah. ever since. So um, you talked about meeting this mentor when you were in yes. another line of business, right? And yes. um, what would you say was the key thing that he said that you needed to do to get started in the business, like in the industry? Like what was your right. first thing? Well, understand this, during those eight months, he did not pay me. Uh, I did not really, uh, he didn't even really teach me what I'm doing today. Uh, His business, everybody, and that's a beautiful thing about real estate. There's so many different ways to make money, hundreds of ways to make money in the real estate industry, literally hundreds. Like one transaction really feeds about 25 families. So Kiki, if you bought a house today, 25 people are going to make money off of that one transaction or 25 people or, or more. So and let's break that down. So you have the yes. lender. You have you the, have, yes. You have the seller, right? You got the, well, if it's a the mortgage broker. broker okay. The, the, and then you have the lender and you have mm-hmm. the seller. You mm-hmm. have the real estate agent on both sides of the yeah. transaction. Yeah. You have the appraisal. The you have the home inspection. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Not to mention if the home was renovated, all the the general contractor, yeah. Then the yeah. subcontractors. And and I wanted to bring that break that down just so that uh, the damn shamers would understand that you might not want to get into necessarily the real estate, but you might want to be a contractor. You might there are so many facets in this industry that you can explore and really you know be successful in. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so when I was out in DC, I was really uh, knocking on doors. I was basically doing a lot of grunt work. I was knocking on doors to, to folks that were behind on their mortgage payments. So we, we targeted people that were in pre-foreclosure. That was his business model. And he would basically save them from getting a foreclosure on their credit report. So he was buying property anywhere between 200, actually between 150, to 250, sometimes $300,000. And then he would put those properties back on the market in Washington, DC, between four and 600,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would put about 80 to 90,000 in each property. So you could see, you know, the, the profit. That was the were, numbers back then huge. and the numbers here yes. today. Those, those same properties in DC are going for like a million dollars. We were, yeah. we were mm-hmm. in Capitol Hill 
and and he had the def- deciding factor was he he told me he said Marcel you can either either come and work for me in DC I'm like 23 24 at that time and and he said or you can just start your own company in Baltimore and I was really uncomfortable going into a a city like DC not knowing DC isn't what it is today it was still a lot of crime back in the early 2000s so I'm a, I'm a in the city guy from Baltimore I, you know, I'm not going to go in just any neighborhood, you know, if I don't know somebody there. That's, that was my mindset back then uh, in my early 20s. But, you know, you mature and, you know, I wish I would have spent more time in D.C. because, uh, you know, the properties appreciated through, through the Great Recession. Yeah. It, they appreciate it. And, that, and that's pretty much most, most uh, metro cities across the country. But D.C.'s property values shot through the roof. They shot through the roof. Like it's, it's, it's very competitive. It's probably in the top, not probably, it's in the top five markets in the United States right now. Mm-hmm. Most expensive. Wow. Well, let me, let me jump in real quick just to give a shout out to some of our damn shamers. Tyrone Bryant, he's here from D.C. Uh, Christian Bryant, uh, she's saying good evening and um, well, Amina Brewer, she's checking in. She can't wait to get started. Can't wait to hear more right. about the real estate business. So I want to give a shout out to our, our damn, damn shamers. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and share the live. Share this information. Listen, it's not always that we get to have someone who is as knowledgeable as he is in the platform and it be free. Okay. <laughs> then, look, the next one you might have to pay a little fee for. You understand what I'm saying? So, so I, I want to jump into another question about um, what all falls under the real estate umbrella. You know, a lot of people, the first and probably only thing they think about is like flipping houses. You know, but like right. there's so many other different ways um, to get in the business under real estate that that. That's not just about flipping houses. Can we talk a little bit about that? <laughs> That's Sorry, a damn y'all. shave. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I'm joking. I'm joking. That's just kids my love, kids I'm love so, Nobody's hurt over here. Just, just. I'm crazy. Okay, I'm like. Kids like, don't understand. We're live. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, nah, that's cool. That's cool. That's what makes this real. So that's right. So that's that's a really good question, though. Um, there's so many different ways. I, you know, before I met my my mentor, you know, then, didn't you all go to Morgan? Did some yeah. of you go to Morgan? We okay, so the I, finest Delaware State University. Oh, okay, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> I got a, I got, so I got a couple of, of. We have quite a few friends that went to. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Morgan. Shout out to Morgan. Shout we'll out to Delaware State home, too. We we beat you every homecoming, but it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few friends at, at Delaware State. Um, okay. actually, one. Two of my, 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 I used to play ball growing up and uh, Eric Skeeters and Keith Goody are, are basketball coaches up there. And oh. uh, Ivan Griffin, I went to high school with, he, he played basketball at Delaware State. Okay. So, you know, shout out to Delaware State. So, so when I was at Morgan, we had this uh, social hangout spot called The Bridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything went down. On the bridge, you know. Been on the bridge. A lot of us. I've been on the bridge. Been on the bridge. Yeah, we've been on the bridge. A lot, been on the bridge. <laughs> a lot of people from other schools would just show up. Towson, Loyola, people from all yeah, over. The bridge is would hang out bad. on the bridge. So that's where I discovered uh, this this niche called tax lien investing. Mm-hmm. And 
this is a, a niche strategy that you can use all over the country. Uh, some states are tax deed states. Some states are tax sale certificate states. Maryland happens to be a tax sale certificate state. Now, um, across the country, you can experience returns anywhere from 12% all the way up to 36%. Like California goes up to 36%. Th these are just returns on your money. Now, if you know what you're doing, this can be a risk-free investment, like 100% guaranteed because you're purchasing a government-backed certificate. So when I buy tax sale certificates, I buy them from Baltimore City. And if I follow all the steps, I'm guaranteed a return of up to 18% on my mm -hmm. money that I invest, plus okay. legal fees. So if my legal fees are around $3,500, the person who owns that property has to pay 18% on my legal fees mm -hmm. and what I paid to pay off their tax lien. That's if it gets to that point where I'm starting the foreclosure process. So in a nutshell, I actually purchased my first property with my, uh, my financial aid refund check. And I had a, a mindset shift early on. I was in, when I mentioned earlier, I was introduced to some other businesses um, you probably all have heard of Amway, Quickstar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I, at 18, 19, I was introduced to Amway, Quickstar. And um, my mentor, he put a book in my hand called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I, I employ everybody. Uh, yeah. If you're thinking about getting involved in real estate, you definitely want to start reading. Like a lot of people forget, like, they forget about working out their their brain, like the, like your mind is the, is the strongest muscle you have. And a lot of people forget to work that out. So, you know, we should always exercise our brains and it, whether it's you listening to an audio, I know everybody's not readers, um, but I understand readers are, are leaders. That's why I um, keep people asleep, man. So I'm- Yeah, yeah, so audio, audio. You, definitely, you, you definitely have to read. You definitely have to read, especially if you're getting into real estate because you got to read contracts yeah. yeah you have to read contracts and then every market is different so in the tax sale world you have to understand baltimore city's rules and procedures are different than baltimore county baltimore county is going to be different than prince george's both maryland has like 24 cities or uh, 24 counties i believe so so every every municipality runs their tax sales differently Okay. And because we have damn shameless from the East yeah. Coast to the West Coast, I'm sure yeah. that the same concept applies across right. the United States. The same concept, absolutely. Um, and you can learn about the different rules and how to acquire these properties through your state websites. Like if mm -hmm. you just Google Maryland tax sale process or California tax deed process, the state websites are going to come up with every step that you have to take to acquire these certificates and these deeds. So that first property I paid $850 for, like I said, I had a mindset shift instead of taking my refund check and splurging it like I did in my early uh, college years. I said, I'm going to uh, bet on myself and I'm going to invest in my future. And I uh, ended up, ended up getting, I ended up purchasing two certificates 
the one one owner redeemed, the second owner did not redeem, and I foreclosed on the property. I end up owning this property free and clear on East 26th Street in East Baltimore. And I sold that property uh, for $25,000. I had made more money on one deal than I did working a whole year at my part-time government job. Yeah. And it, that, yeah. that was like a game changer. And right around that time, I had uh, bumped into my first mentor in Washington, D.C. And then I just stuck with it ever since. So you have tax sale investing, then you have wholesaling. That's uh, really, you can virtually do that with no money out of pocket where you're controlling a property for a certain amount of time. You're adding value to the property depending on how you market it and, and the price that you are controlling the property for. And then you can sell that for a fee of up to, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and from there, I, I call this the real estate investing success ladder, just like the corporate ladder. However, in, in the entrepreneurial world, there's no ceiling to how much you can make. Like, mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful thing about real estate is you never know what the next deal is going to yield you. I mean, you could do a deal key key and you may make only $3,500, but then you could do a deal in two months and you make 35,000. Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's no cap. It, it, the only competition is going to be yourself. Um, so from, from wholesaling, you're probably, you know, putting some money away. You could do maybe five to 10 deals a year. You know, that next year, hey, I want to buy and renovate a house. So, so what's the concept for wholesaling? Uh -huh. what's the wholesaling. So the, the concept is, 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 is simple. It's uh, finding a distressed property. So have you mm -hmm. seen a, a vacant house in your neighborhood mm -hmm. or a, a shabby looking house? in the last, you know, three to six months? Have you seen any mm -hmm. of that? Mm -hmm. Okay, Not so- in my neighborhood, but I okay. them. Every neighborhood has them, I don't care. <laughs> every every neighborhood, I, I don't care them. if it's a, a million dollar neighborhood or, mm -hmm. or a low income neighborhood, mm -hmm. you can find a house that has some maintenance issues. Yeah. Okay. So that's, this, this, this is just one scenario, right? You find a house with some maintenance issues. It could be the lawn isn't taken care of. It could be, the, the windows are broken. It, it could be that, you know, Miss Johnson, who recently moved into assistant living, her house is uh, now vacant, you know? Mm -hmm. the, this, this could be a distressed situation. Like the owner could be going through some type of financial hardship. You, you never know the case or someone could have inherited a, a, a unwanted house. We've purchased several properties since 2004 from people yes. that have moved out of the Baltimore market and their parents owned a house here, their parents passed away and now they're down in North Carolina. They're responsible for the taxes, the upkeep and it's become a nuisance to that family. So we've been able to purchase those types of properties. So basically finding a unwanted property or a property that someone needs to sell, negotiating a price, a fair price for the property, and then assigning your, once you negotiate a price, a fair price, you actually write up a contract, you put down a deposit, and then you assign your equitable interest using what's called an assignment agreement. Mm -hmm. You assign your interest, and there are different types of assignment agreements that you can use, but you use this one-page agreement, and let's just say uh, Nightlife wanted to buy the property. She's gonna pay my company a fee 
to purchase that property. So I'm basically, you're basically playing the middleman. Did that, did that make sense? So if you, to keep it simple, you find a house for $10,000, it's worth 100,000. You sell a property to Nightlife for 20,000. You tell a Nightlife, I got a house for 20,000, it's worth 100,000. You need to put $10,000 in repairs in the, of repairs in the property. She's looking at it as a $30,000 investment. That's worth a hundred thousand. Who would not do that deal? She's got $70,000 of equity. So when we all go to settlement, yeah. When we go to settlement, the owner gets their 10,000. Kiki, you make 10,000. And Nightlife gets a property with $70,000 of equity. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Yeah, yeah. I like that. But when everybody wins, that's, that's, that's how you create success creating yeah. win-win situations and i hear a lot of people talking about wholesaling so and i never really yes. understood it but then that breaks it down for me okay i get it so i got another quick question here go ahead for these ladies um and, and that kiki you should show you you got something nope come okay. on all right um you brought up a really good point and i think no matter what piece of real estate we're talking about the deal has to make sense yeah so how do you determine when the deal makes sense it seems like that would be like a, a strategy or something behind that can we talk about that absolutely you know no people lie numbers never do okay numbers never lie so one thing i, I tell people especially that are just getting started is that you know these properties they don't love you back like you may love your home, but your house doesn't love you, has no emotion. So you have to take the emotions out of the business when you're involved in a business transaction. It's all about the numbers. If the numbers don't make sense and you're emotionally attached because the house reminds you of the house you grew up in, you're gonna, you, there's a chance you can lose some money. And uh, when you make emotional decisions in business, most nine, nine times out of 10, you know, if those numbers aren't right, you're going to get hurt financially. So keep that out of the scenario and I'll always just focus on the numbers. So when I look at a deal, there's several ways I look at a deal. If I'm looking at a deal to wholesale, there's a certain way I'm looking at the deal. If I look at a, a deal to buy, fix, and sell on a retail market, there's a certain way I'm looking at the deal. If I'm looking at a deal to buy and hold it long term, there's a whole nother way I'm looking at the deal. Or if I'm looking at it just to buy and hold, just to wait for like a neighborhood to change, I'm looking at it a, a certain way. So with the whole, and, and same thing with tax sale. I, I mentioned tax sale certificates earlier and tax deeds. Just because you can buy a property or you believe you can buy a property for pennies on a dollar doesn't mean that it's going to make sense once you become the owner. So tax sales certificates, you can purchase any, anywhere from a few hundred dollars all the way up to a couple hundred thousand dollars. But you better know your values. And every niche, you have to know your numbers. So if you're wholesaling a property, like that property we just, uh, we just, just did the demonstration with that's worth 100,000, well, that's called the after-repaired value. And for the folks watching this, you may want to write that down. When you're evaluating a, a deal, you want to find out what the after repair value is on that property, meaning after Nightlife buys that property for, for, for 20000 you know, 
after she fixes it up, what is it going to be worth? So we have to provide nightlife with comparable sales. And you can get comparable sales from different websites, uh, Zillow.com. Mm -hmm. You have uh, HomeSnap, which is an app that you can download to your phone uh, for free. And there's a website I've been using for years called uspropertysearch.com, mm -hmm. where that gives you access to all of the data nationwide. And they're tied directly to the multiple listing service. So you do your due diligence, you look at what the comps are in that area for houses that are comparable to the house that you're thinking about putting under contract. And then you work the deal from there. You work the deal from there. You look to see what investors, I'm going into some, some advanced, some advanced training here. We smart here, the damn chambers are smart. Okay, so, so good. I just want everybody to stay with me here. So if I know, if I know the ARV, is a hundred thousand. I want to know exactly what investors are paying for these hundred thousand dollar homes. Because if I know their investors paying thirty thousand, then I know I could potentially sell this property for thirty thousand because I've seen sales in that yeah. thirty thousand dollar range. So if I know this, and like you knew that Kiki on that deal, you know that you have to get it below thirty for you to make money. Yeah. So that's like the simplest way I can explain evaluating a deal wholesale wise. But isn't there so like a threshold that you want to stay between? Um, I think I saw you heard you say 60% or 65% for the yes. ARV. Yeah. So everybody has their own business model. Um, some people are going to agree with this. Some people aren't. And I, I'm willing to bet the people that aren't going to agree with this have not have only been in the business maybe five years. They're mm -hmm. experiencing uh, this boom, this this booming market that we're in right now. But it's very dangerous if you're going to start purchasing property 70 to 80 percent, 80 cents on the dollar. That's very mm -hmm. dangerous to start doing that because anything can happen. If the economy tanks, you know, next week, that means home prices are going to decline. Um, and, the, and the reason I say this is, is because I look at what lenders are lending on, 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 a, on, a, on a local level. So I'm talking about people in my market that are lending money on property. And most of them lend up to 65% because they know when they lend their money. And when I say 65%, they'll lend up to $65,000 total for that $100,000 house. Because they know if they have to foreclose on that property or take that property back, they're still in a good position to get their money out of the house. Does that make sense? It does. So, so let's talk about, I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. So, so, so as a wholesaler, you want to make sure you're getting your deals under six, 60 cents mm -hmm. on the dollar. So you can sell them. A, a great wholesaler is going to sell their property at 65 cents on the dollar. Because now... They're ensuring the success of their client who is a rehabber or buy and hold investor. Sometimes your buy and hold investors, these are folks that will pay a little more because the condition of the property and the simple fact that they're, they're betting on long-term appreciation and monthly cash flow. So they'll pay sometimes up to 70, even 80 cents on a dollar, but they know their exit going into the deal. They've done it several times. They're good at what they do and they can take that type of risk. 
But the more you pay for a property, the more risk you're taking on. So as a wholesaler, you want to get your deals as cheap as possible, 10 cents on the dollar, 30 cents on the dollar. And that was one and of the sell them. Oops. Yeah. That was one of the questions in um that was one of the questions in um in the chat was do you use the MAO formula to run your numbers? That was from Tyrone Bryant. Thanks for chatting in. No. I, I don't I don't use it. I, I don't use the, the it's called the maximum maximum allowable offer. I, I do not use that uh, in my business when I evaluate a deal. I simply, and the reason why I stopped using it is because everybody has their own model in doing business. And it's kind of hard to figure out repairs on a property if you're, if you're selling that property as a, as a real estate wholesaler. A lot of people, you're hearing about wholesaling. You know, wholesaling has over 100,000 hashtags. Um, when I entered the industry in 2002, uh, very, very few people were talking about real estate wholesaling and very few people were talking about real estate that looked like me. I would be at real estate meetings and there, I would be one of three African-Americans in the, uh, in the audience. Um, but now, you know, it's a more popular with the advent of the internet. Information is right at your fingertips. And a lot of people get hung up on the maximal, maximum allowable offer, but you have to understand my contractor is not going to give me the same price that they're going to give you or your contractor is going to give you. Okay. So everybody's, everybody's expense is going to be different. Everybody's budget is going to be different. So what I, what I like to do, I like to keep it simple. And the reason why I do this and I'm, I'm going to review here and I'm going to give you a backstory why, why I developed this. It's called the AIP. What I just went over is called the AIP. This is a, a strategy that I, ha I had to come up with during 2007, 2008, during the first housing crash. Mm -hmm. Because literally, when the housing market crashed, there weren't any retail sales happening. We literally had more foreclosures happening than people buying homes. So values were going down. However, right after, right, right around 2008 like two to four months there was like there was like panic in the marketplace similar to covid like remember everybody's running to get toilet paper and that's what i was just getting ready you to know? say like <laughs> the way the economy is set up today is it going to yes. mirror what happened in 2008 with the with the housing market i mean we're I, in this pandemic we, yeah. you know, everybody's scrambling. You see everybody's buying. I mean, the, the seller's market is great right now. Yes. But. I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's several indicators that show that we're heading in another direction, but I'm not a psychic. I, I can't look into the future. But if I was a betting man, I would say brace yourself. Um, really brace yourself. Be, and when I say brace yourself, you know, you need to be investing smartly. Uh, you need to definitely create another stream of income. Um, but in 2008, I saw some of the same things happening today, just from my playing field on the real estate home front, where I see people being over leveraged, becoming over leveraged. And when I say over leveraged, I mean, if you're on a seesaw, you know, and somebody jumps off, you know, you're going up in the air. Right. 
Okay, so I'm seeing investors because I was once over leveraged. So take at us one back point, to the API model. Is that how you came up with it? AIP, yeah. So I AIP came up model. with it stands for average investor pay. So my student partners, the folks that I mentor, they were coming to me and they were saying, Marcel, we cannot come up with a maximum allowable offer anymore because there's no ARV. So what do we do? And I'm looking at all the data and I'm seeing, wow, all these foreclosures are happening. There's no retail sales. However, they still want to wholesale these properties to investors. So I went back into the office, scratched my head for a few minutes. And I said, I got it. Let's just look at what investors are paying and buy the properties less than what they're paying. So they were buying them at the auctions. We bought less than what they were paying at the auction. They were buying them less. Uh, they were buying them, you know, off of the MLS through real estate agents. These were REO properties. We're making sure we're buying them less than what they're purchasing the REI, REOs for. So it's just looking to see, to keep it really simple, because the maximum allowable offer can confuse you. If you don't know repairs, if you don't know holding costs, it's gonna confuse you to keep it simple, stupid. It's just to look at what nightlife is paid. If she paid 30,000 and she's an investor and she's rehabbing that house, you know you have to get the properties cheaper than what she paid for to make a profit. It's that simple. Simple. It's that simple. How do you find out? How do you find out where to how much they're paying you use sites like the ones I gave earlier uspropertysearch.com you use those types of sites they tell you exactly how much the cash sales are in cities and neighborhoods and zip codes all over the country so producer lady I know you have a comment and for those dame chambers that are listening on YouTube live and they might be on Instagram as well we will make sure that all of this information these links are posted on our site um, at Damn Shame Podcast. So be sure to uh, follow our Instagram page and you'll be able to get some of this information as well. And that's, uh, that's with wholesaling. Yeah. You're using the AIP when you're wholesaling, when you're rehabbing, you can use the maximum allowable offer. But uh, for the folks that are just getting started that aren't rehabbing, and if you're rehabbing, you know how to evaluate a deal. Like, yeah. you, and, and that's another thing. You should not get involved in a, a rehab project. This is just through my lens, my opinion. Some people take chances. If you don't have at least twenty to $30,000, and this is just specifically in the Baltimore marketplace, if you don't have that type of money in a bank account that is just like a rainy day account for just your real estate endeavor, you don't need to be playing in that, in that arena yet because stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff happens in this business. Yeah. So, you know, well, wait if a you're minute. So, yeah. Let me talk about uh, do you necessarily have to have your own capital? From what I'm understanding, we have lenders out here, hard lenders, and yeah. explain that. Yeah, concept. That, that's that's definitely a, People a great don't necessarily question. have good, good credit now, you know, right. and, and right. the capital. Man, she might can do some things for some pocket change and, and, and make the six thirty thousand. <laughs> Well, 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 I tell, you know, for the folks taking those, you know, you, you definitely, and Kiki, you bring up some great points. You definitely want to be resourceful. Write that word down, being resourceful. So yeah. within our networks, within our you networks, I'm pretty sure. You said resourceful. I say yeah. some small things with some pocket change. <laughs> right. Small things with some pocket change. <laughs> some damn 20, 20, to 30, 
twenty to thirty thousand ain't, ain't small change for most folks. So okay. you gotta you gotta be resourceful, okay? So if you don't have twenty to thirty thousand, number one, you should not even be playing in the rehabbing arena unless you have a mentor that's gonna hold you by the hand and take you every step of the way. Because when you buy a house, specifically in Baltimore City, you have the permit process. Okay. Mm -hmm. You need to know, okay, if you're going to gut a house out, oh, I need floor plans. Okay. You're going to need to know how to submit your floor plans to the city through the permit process. You're going to need to know that there's an inspection process that takes place. Okay. And when you're talking about lenders, hard money, you have hard money lenders, you have private lenders. Now I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't get started if you don't have 20 to 30 in the, in, in the bank but you need access to capital. So if you don't have yeah. the money, hey, Nightlife may have 20 to 30,000 that she'll lend you. <laughs> that she'll, she'll lend you because she believes in you and she knows you, you got mentorship and she knows that you can execute well. She may lend you that money if, you, if needed. But mm -hmm. understand this, smart lenders and I haven't seen any, even, even though, and this is how you know the market has changed. I haven't experienced this. None of my clients have experienced this. Lenders back in 03, 04, 05, they did what's called front the first draw. So when you borrow money mm -hmm. from a bank, you have to put together a draw schedule, like an outline mm -hmm. of the project. Mm -hmm. So say your first draw is you're going to do roof, new roof, you're going to do demo, demolition, you're going to waterproof the basement, okay, you're going to put in new windows. Let's, let's just say you budgeted for all of that $15,000. Back in early 2000s, lenders would actually add settlement. They would cut you a check for your first draw. I haven't seen that since then. So lenders right now, they want to make sure you have skin in the game. So before they cut that $15,000 check, you have to get all of that done on the first draw. Wow. You see, okay. see what I mean? Okay. So that's why I said you have to have 20 to 30, depending on the property. If you're mm -hmm. in a high-end neighborhood, you're going to need 50 to 100. Like if you're playing ball in D.C., if you're playing ball in Federal Hill, Canton, the prices are higher. The contractors know that. So they're going to charge you a little more, depending on who you're working with. So you need to be ready, not to mention if a contractor goes bad. So one of the episodes of, uh, of Housewives with the Potomac, Housewives in Potomac, uh, Robin and her mom experienced a contractor who l disappeared. And they were already into that project about $20,000. So if they budgeted, a certain amount of money for that project with that contractor is one thing about contractors. They hate coming behind other contractors. So they have to, mm -hmm. they'll tear out the old contractors work if it's not up to their, their standards. And then they're going to charge you. So that 20 to 30,000 that you have in that, in that account specifically for rehabbing is if something happens, something goes wrong, you can absorb that loss. Does that does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. So you talked about your uh, your time on the Housewives of Potomac, and yeah. that you mentored uh, Robin, and you've mentored many other people uh, across Maryland. 
um, and probably in some other areas as well. So I know that, you know, you mentor, there are a lot of women that are getting into this real estate market. Yes. With you being a very attractive man, uh, very smart, knowledgeable, and all of that. How do you handle when one of your mentees uh, tries to cross the line and do some small things for that pocket change? (laughs) For the pocket change. Well, you know, I, I keep it business. I keep it business. I learned a, a valuable lesson early on uh, in my network marketing days is to never, you know, never mess with the money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause then the money can get funny. And, the money and gets uh, I'll tell you one thing, women do extremely well. Most of my clients, uh, most of my clients are 90% women wow. and they do, they do extremely well. And they age anywhere from 25 all the way up to 65 years old. I've been mentoring and coaching people since 2007. And if, if you go on my website, marcelumphrey.com, you'll see there are more women success stories than, than fellas. And I tell the fellas all the time, we got to get our stuff together. We got to get it together. <laughs> y'all got to step we gotta get together. But it's good. It's and I, I, I believe you all do well because, and another thing, the houses that our company has renovated and sold has been to mostly 90, 95%, mostly women, African-American women. You guys have it together. You have the jobs, you have the good credit, and you know what you want. Um, on the investment side, I believe, because I, I deal and I teach my student partners, they deal direct with homeowner, direct with property owner. And when you're dealing directly, there's no middleman in between person. Kiki, you come off less, uh, what's the word, intimidating over mm-hmm. the phone or in person. And, you know, it's easier for you to negotiate. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, look at what Joe Biden did. <laughs> yeah. His running mate is a African-American woman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is a, is a woman. I believe that's how he won. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you you all are phenomenal. You know, I've seen you it with my own eyes. Failing uh-huh. forward. Explain yeah. that. You said I talked about that? Yeah, you used this term before in some of your talks. Yeah. About failing forward. Let's talk about that. Absolutely. This market is so... Um, scary, intimidating, you know, whether you're a male or well, it's female. It's a great time to be, it's a great time to be in real estate right now. Okay. You make a lot of money. If you find the right house, you make a lot of money. It's, and I'm talking about fast, like right yeah. now. And, and the thing is, the thing is when the market crashes, hopefully it doesn't, but I mean, we've been on a great run for almost 13 years now. There's going to mm-hmm. be a correction uh, in the real estate market, in the stock market. There's definitely going to be correction. We just don't know when. I, I've I've given prediction that that it's going to happen in 2021, at some point. Um, I believe it. There, I may be misquoting here, but uh, there's a moratorium of uh, like three million people that are behind on their mortgage right now. Mm-hmm. So, yep. if Corona hits again, that's a devastating blow. Yeah. Devastating. So. So, you know, when foreclosures hit the market, it's going to slow down everything. Banks are going to hold back. Because if you remember COVID, all banks cease lending. 
as soon as COVID happened, as soon as everything was shut down, all banks ceased lending and a bunch of real estate investors, we were on Zooms talking about what's next. Like, how are we going to prepare for this? What's going on? And then things got better. But if COVID hits again, it's going to devastate the banking uh, world. Um, but, but back to your point, failing forward, you know, early on in my career, I did not take uh, mentorship and, and real estate education serious. I, I, I learned through the School of Hard Knocks. And, you know, I remember people telling me, like, you're either going to pay for it now or pay for it later. And I ended up, you know, losing when the market crashed over a million dollars between cash and real estate, my business. But I didn't I didn't quit. I learned from those mistakes. And one of those mistakes was being over leveraged. So we were buying five to seven houses at a time in one month. And, uh, you know, we we were racing to get jobs done. And once the, the news cracked that the market is, is, is slowing up, you know, we were left holding the bag. So, you know, failing forward, you know, in this business, you're going to fail. You need to be prepared uh, mentally. Uh, just know that real estate is a very forgivable uh, business to be in. Um, my first wholesale deal, it took 18 months to close my mm-hmm. first wholesale deal. Okay. It wasn't a lot of people talking about it online. It, was, it wasn't any real books on the, on the concept back then. Um, and it wasn't a lot of people teaching it. So, you know, I just stayed in the game. You got to have staying power. And that's with anything, anything like with your podcast. Heck, you know, you may have only a thousand people watching, right? But in five years, that's, that could be 50,000 people. But if you quit, if you quit in the next six months, you never it ain't know, happening. You know? Yeah, it ain't happening. Yeah. You gotta just so keep you, going. Yes, you gotta keep going, you know. And it's it's a and whole lot of stuff. Keep stories. reinventing yourself, you know. Absolutely. I'm sure you have to do that in the real estate uh investment market as well. You know, think of creative ways. Like you said, you started out with the MOA or whatever the terms were. Oh, uh, the maximum allowable offer. Yes. Yeah. And then that didn't work. And then you came up with your concept with with the AIP. And so, you know, I know that even in this time with COVID, we all have had to learn how to pivot and make more money for ourselves. How can we do it? And I just thought you coming on the show was so timely because, you know, you could teach us or drop gems on, you know, how to build ourselves and, 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 you know, be more, I guess, um, knowledgeable of all the entities that goes into this real estate game that we could potentially get into. Um, yes. I, a producer lady, do you have one? I, I just have a comment in the chat um, from Sharice. If you have a lot of equity in your home, should you pull it out to purchase another property? It, it really depends um, on your experience level. If, you, if you're just starting out, I do not advise that you do that. You need to get an uh, education. So I don't know if you can respond to them to see if they have any experience. Because you, if you pull it out and you don't have a plan and you just go off a hunch or you go off of 
somebody telling you something and, and that, you know, if that person doesn't have a track record showing you, okay, this person took out 60,000 out of their house and they put down 20 on this property, they put 40,000 into it and then they refinance that property. And once they refinance, they pay back their equity line of credit or they paid off their house again. So, you know, if you have equity, you, you know, if, if it's your primary residence, you know, that's, are you willing to lose that home? That's why I said, I said this, real estate doesn't love you. Okay. These houses don't love you. So if you pull out that equity out of your house, you understand you're taking a risk. It could be a calculated risk, but you're taking a risk and the risk is you pull out that equity. So one thing I learned early on from a, one of my early mentors, a wise man, uh, Will yeah, Martin, he, he said, you go into that yes. when you pull yes. out the equity of yes. a house that, you know, say if you, that the, you, you got a hundred thousand in the house, a hundred thousand yeah. dollars worth of equity. The house mm -hmm. is, you probably have a hundred, um, well, the, the housing, the houses in this area might be going for two fifty. Yeah. And you sitting on a hundred thousand dollars worth of equity. Why yep. would I not want to do that? If you don't have a plan, if you don't have experience, the plan is to go buy more houses. Right, but what I mean is, okay, where are you going to buy those houses? I'm talking the nitty gritty of that plan. What what is the price point? If you're just pulling out equity to pull out equity, number one, your mortgage payment is about to go up, mm -hmm. or you're going to have an, another mortgage payment. And then let's just say you get sick. You buy a house, you come down, and, you know, with something and, and you get sick. I mean, mm -hmm. sick where you're on a respirator. Yeah. How are you going to execute? Okay. You don't want to play with your primary residence. And this is just coming from somebody with 18 years of experience. Mm -hmm. If you get sick, how are you going to go to work? How are you going to make that mortgage payment? So when I say, do you have a plan? Like, okay, do you have mortgage insurance? Okay, do you have unemployment insurance? If you're mm -hmm. self-employed, like what is, if you got to look at things like worst case scenario, I pull this hundred grand out, worst case scenario, what happens? So what's the plan? You got to look at it from the worst and the best, okay? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants the best, but nobody really, thinks about the worst and you, and you know, I lived through that, you know, with my parents, you know, my mom got sick and within six, eight months she passed away, mm -hmm. you know, unexpectedly my dad passed at 44. Like mm -hmm. you just never know. And if you're in a hundred to $200,000 investment deal and you get sick or something happens or the contractor runs out, what's your next step? What's the contingency plan? So, mm -hmm. Ha that's where having someone with experience, and I'm not just talking about a real estate agent. I'm talking about somebody that actually is doing what you want to do. If you're trying to buy a property, okay, you need to align yourself with someone who has a track record and can show you HUD ones, can show you settlement sheets, can show you deals that they've done in the past and executed profitably before you start pulling money out of your primary residence. And that's, that's the, the thing. If you, if you look at what's happened in our country, and I, I can say this at 39, I can say I've seen the wealth transfer take place in, in my adult years. When 2008 crash took place, African-American wealth went and dropped, in, dropped, uh, uh, dropped a ton. 
Like, people lost their homes. Prince George's County was top three counties in the country to go through the foreclosure crisis. Yeah. So all those people that took equity out of their properties. Mm-hmm. Okay, there, there's a good movie um, that explains the banking world and the person that sent that question about the equity, they, I think they really need to watch it. Um, it's based on a true story. Like it, it was a true story uh, about the housing crash. I'm forgetting the name of it. The guy that played uh, Batman was in it. But it's a good, it's a good film about okay, the we'll housing crash. We'll tell yeah, we'll, we'll figure later. it out. I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm going to pull it up in a second. So, talking about, uh, you know, leaving behind a legacy and uh, building generational wealth. Um, do you think that the real estate investments um, that are yeah. made are like the prime way to get that? done like one of the key things Mm. to building generational wealth and passing on the legacy absolutely so the movie is the big short the big short came Mm -hmm. out in 2015 it's a book about it as well so watch that movie and you'll understand uh why you don't want to pull money out of your primary residence um and understand this too kiki the housing crash of 08 is totally different than now Uh, we had a lot of subprime loans going on no dot financing mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. uh back then so this is going to be different this is going to be a little different and i don't know because i've never experienced that this what this thing this new thing is where you got three million p- people supposedly behind on their mortgage so you know it's, it's in the millions of how many people are behind on their mortgage mm-hmm. i don't know if it's exactly three million but as far as building wealth i, I think you have to be diverse uh, when you speak of that because um you know, you can have life insurance. Yeah. You need to be, you definitely need to have life insurance. And I'm not talking a thirty to $50,000 life insurance policy, 100000 or better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you need to have um, a, an estate planner to really help you stay organized. And, you know, real estate is going to be a part of that. So if it's your primary residence, you know, that's a wealth building uh, vehicle. Uh, investment properties. Also, if I didn't mention the stock market, a portfolio, whether you're investing in an index fund or REIT, uh, but you should definitely be investing money, hopefully every month, every quarter, every year into, you know, the the stock market. Uh, That's where your money starts making money while you're sleeping. Um, And you can own different pieces of different companies. so real estate, life insurance, uh, stock market, and if you're into precious metals like gold, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's always a smart investment as well. And, and business in general. But none of that means anything if you don't have a succession plan. Like, you, sh- you, you, you know, your son just had walked in, you know, you may build up this podcast. I know guys that built up podcasts and they're getting $3 million contracts for that podcast. So, you know, you could build up this enormous media platform, but if you're not showing your son, you know, if you guys aren't showing your daughters, you know, how to run the company, what is all the work for? So you need to leave a blueprint, a business model. You need to have the, the attorneys in place. So if something unexpectedly happens to you, hey, son, 
Uh, your mom wanted you to step in and be CEO of this. She's been prepping you for this for the last 10 years. That's why you've been on the show periodically. Mm -hmm. Here's her SOP on how she runs things. The accountants are over there. This is what the bills are every month. This is already generating $300,000 a month. All you have to do is come in and manage it. She paid me to manage you, to show you how to get this thing up and running. But I only, I'm only going to be with you for two years until after that, if you don't get it, it's on you. So you want to have those things in place. In place. And if you can't afford it, if someone that you work with closely, like a, a family member or a close friend, they, you trust them with your business that, hey, I want to keep this thing going for my kids. Can you make sure that they run it? And you make sure that they manage it. And that's the thing. You got to have these conversations early. So if your kids are, you know, 10, they need, you need to start planting those seeds. Mm -hmm. And then you need to put things in place so your, your fortunes don't fall apart. Okay? They at least last two, three generations. Yeah. You and know? The, the damn shame has got so many questions. I don't even know where to start. So I'm going to try damn shame. Okay. Um, is this a good time to refi, especially with the changing administration? Let's talk about I, I think it is. I'm not in the banking uh, world, but uh, this is historical lows in, as far as interest rates. I think it's like 2-3%. Where are you getting 2-3% at? When has that ever happened? Since ever. So I, I think it definitely is uh, to lower your, your mortgage payments uh, is definitely the best time to buy. Uh, and you can look at that two ways. So I look at that two ways. It's a great time to buy if you're, uh, if you're looking to get in at a low interest rate, but it's also a bad time to buy because everything's overpriced. So you have to think about this for a second. And I want people to understand this. I want people to understand this. I've had some very serious conversations with real estate agents in my market and they see things firsthand because they're selling these properties to new homeowners. And it was just a really good article on MSNBC about this young lady. She makes $95,000 a year and uh, she bought this house for $295,000 and she's living an American dream. But one of my good friends, he posted this on Facebook and he was like, this, this scenario, I didn't get deep into the article but this scenario is, is going to eventually lead us into a housing crash. And I, I want to I piggyback on that for a second. Okay, this is a, a, a single young lady with an income of $95,000. She bought a $295,000 house. Now, if the data shows what I'm hearing in the streets from licensed real estate agents that are selling people four $500,000 houses, because if you get a four $500,000 house right now, your, your mortgage payment is going to be below $3,500. Okay. But he's telling me, they're telling me like these people buying these homes have $5,000 in the bank account and they're living paycheck to paycheck. So if somebody, if someone buys, you know, if you buy a $300,000 house and you make 95 a year, if you are spending more than you're saving and something happens to that industry and jobs are lost, how are you going to pay your mortgage? This is what I tell people though. If you're going to buy a house in this market, you're going to take advantage of these, these low interest rates. 
when the market does crash, if it happens, don't get all emotional and get upset when the house next door sells for, let's just say it's a $350,000 neighborhood. The house next door now sells for 180. You knew who lived there. You know the house didn't need a bunch of work and your new neighbors paid 180. You have to understand this. In 2008, when the housing market crashed, it took about four to five years for the market to recover. And if you know values and you all need to do your research before entering the market, look at what the values were in most cities across and counties across the country compared to today. So understand, we always come back out on top. Mm -hmm. So if you can afford to make your mortgage payments, weather that storm, okay, that's going to come eventually, weather the storm, because on the other side, your properties are going to appreciate more than what they were when you purchased them. Okay, I own a property in the neighborhood. I own a property in the neighborhood. I'm gonna give this example. In 2008, the values went all the way down from 250 renovated homes. Okay, there were properties selling in that neighborhood between 90 and 130 thousand dollars. Okay, you could 90 to 130 thousand. That neighborhood now in 2020, mind you, in 2007, 250 was the top number. 460 now. Wow. So, and this is Baltimore City. So understand this. I don't know, there's so many conspiracy theories about COVID. You see people rushing to the suburbs, rural mm -hmm. areas. You see this, right? I, I'm an open-minded type of guy, right? So I'm, I'm thinking like, I see all these people rushing out of the cities. Like you're here in New York, people rushing out, right? Yep. Baltimore. You look at D.C. I'm not hearing really people talking about moving out of D.C. I haven't heard that. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard it. Gentrification is happening all over the country. Yeah. Baltimore, in my eyes, is 15 to 20 years behind Washington, D.C. And the same with Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a bigger city, but the housing stock is very similar to Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia is going through gentrification not like no other. I invested in Philadelphia back in 2010. And I saw this for my, with my own eyes. Uh, everybody talked about Temple University, buy properties over there, right? So I look at Philly and I look at Baltimore. Baltimore is going through some of the same changes. So you can, when I say, like, if you live out in the county, you need to be buying in the city. Keep your homes in the county, but own your old grandmother's house. Go back and buy that property, your uncle's house. Go back to the hood and start buying these properties because eventually there's going to be a population increase in the inner cities across the country. It may not be for 20 years, but you're talking about generational wealth. If you buy a house for five, 10 grand right now, and it's worth 500,000 in 20 years, that was a great investment now that you pass down to your family member. Your, your son, your daughter, your cousin, your niece, nephew, grandchild. So look at Baltimore. The first signs of gentrification from my lens is that they focus on the school. So, you know, I voted. I'm pretty sure all of you voted. If you looked at that ballot, they talked about legalizing gambling, uh, sports betting. Uh, and when you, and they were going to take that money and they were going to invest that money into the schools. Yes, they going, they're going to invest the money into the schools. But you, who, are they, who, are they, who are they investing that? 
the, into the schools for. These neighborhoods are 60 to 80 percent vacant in the in the hood. Yeah. So this is for the new population that they know is coming. Johns Hopkins spearheaded a, uh, and this is all over the country. If you look at like the big institutions, if they're located in inner cities, they're usually spearheading uh, empowerment zones, uh, uh, redevelopment. Johns Hopkins has a multi-billion dollar redevelopment plan that started in 2007 before the crash in East Baltimore. And they have put a Starbucks in, they've put a hotel in, they've put several small businesses, apartments, new homes that are sold before they even finish construction. And those communities on the outside are starting to be redeveloped. But the first thing that they do is they redevelop the schools, the elementary schools, the middle schools. So when you see that type of infrastructure coming in, uh, as far as the, the streetscape, if they're knocking down properties, just know that things are coming down the pipe. And I did this, I did a YouTube video 10 years ago talking about the EBDI, East Baltimore Development Initiative. And case in point, I purchased a property on East Madison Street, Kiki. You know where East Madison is? I do. I'm very familiar with the okay. whole entire area. In, in 2014, so you can, you can, you can, uh, you know, for the due diligence folks out there, I purchased a property at 2303 East Madison in 2016, I'm sorry, for $5,000. And I waited, I talked about the strategy earlier, I waited for the values to go up. So when I purchased the property, the values were only 137,000. This was in 2016. Today, those houses are selling for 250 to $300,000. I'm talking two story Easy. row houses. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, that I created wealth just by being patient mm -hmm. and, and doing my research on an area. Um, and you can do this in every area that you're in, not only Boston, all over the country, all over the country, just do your research and pay attention, pay attention. Yes. Like myself said to where they are uh, putting uh, funding schools and, and making those, you know, projects better and all of that. Uh, Producer Lady, we had some other questions that. Uh... Yes, we got one, uh, a couple of people that have an interest in the chat about reverse mortgage. Um, and can right. you speak to that a little bit? I'm not real familiar. I'm not going to try to answer something I'm not familiar with. I do know a lot of seniors are taking out reverse mortgages. I don't understand um, that. And yeah, like they, this, they, yeah. And, hey. and are the banks targeting the seniors? Because I've never had anybody ask me to do a reverse mortgage. Oh, not like yet, because you, you don't get AARP yet. So you got to be like 65. You got to be like 65 to qualify think, for a reverse mortgage. I'll, I'll share what I do know about it. Um, I, I do not recommend it because it, it it distracts the wealth from your family immediately uh, upon that person's death. Uh, however, banks do give you the option to buy back the house. Uh, I've heard instances where they even discount what's owed, depending on the condition of the property. But you have to think, you have to look, you have to look like, you have to look, I always look at what like the wealthy folks are doing, right? And they're not doing reverse mortgages. And a lot of seniors do reverse mortgages for a couple of different reasons. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it all. People, people get taken advantage of. Uh, our seniors, our seniors, really I'm a caretaker. And our, our seniors get targeted 
you know, you got those scammers that call from Africa and they'll, like one of my neighbors, she did a 300 some thousand dollar reverse mortgage. She had dementia and the family doesn't even know where the money is. <laughs> so you have to protect your seniors and that comes through estate planning. Um, but with the reverse mortgage, with the reverse mortgage, a lot of times the seniors take out these mortgages, but their properties aren't worth, they aren't worth what the mortgage is. When the bank, you know, appraises the property, if you get the property appraised, it's not going to be worth what they took out. So they, they're, they're automatically going underwater. Okay. So it's very rare that a property with a reverse mortgage has equity left in it. So without equity, you can't really do anything. And if and they you have do to be knowledgeable have some equity, enough. I'm sorry, if they do have yeah. a little bit of equity, they're giving the seniors that money. So the seniors are like, oh my goodness, I got this money. And you know, baby, yeah. where you want to go? You want to go? I'm going to teach you yeah. some nice meal. And you know, and I'm like, well, what so, the hell did you do to your house, uh, Ann? What happened? Absolutely. And this, this is another thing as far as, you know, wealth creation, we're talking about that. You know, you, and this is Kiki, even myself, if you're in your 40s, you know, you have a, a good career, you, you're solid, you know, leaving that burden on your children uh, can, be a, can be a game changer in, in many ways, mm -hmm. uh, in a negative way, um, because the, the average expenses for a senior with, that needs care can, can be anywhere from 4000 a month all the way up to 13,000 a month, depending on level mm -hmm. of care. And uh, there are, there is insurance in place that you can get now, uh, if you're in your 40s and 50s and even 60s. Uh, I'm, I'm, the name isn't ringing a bell, but it basically takes care of you if mm -hmm. you have to go into assistant living or you need uh, home care while you're home, if you wanna stay in your home. But a lot of seniors do uh, reverse mortgages because they need that money to take care of themselves. They, they need that extra money. Mm -hmm. And I tell folks, you have to own real estate. Like you, so you don't have to bother with your primary. If you need to take out a mortgage on one of your investment properties 20 years from now, you have, you invested so you can have a nest egg later. Yeah. You can have that later. And, and, and I've heard you say, in some of your other platforms that it doesn't have to be a house. It could be land. Something yeah, that you absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I just it's talked to a, critical. a family, uh, a family member of a, of a family that owns uh, 700 acres in North Carolina. I talked to them today on Zoom uh, and it's been in that family since 1676. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your, your aunts, your great, great grandparents that had that land down south, that's valuable. That's some that if you, if you're listening to this, you know you definitely want to learn real estate so you can keep that land in your uh in your family, because that's one thing that they're not making anymore. They're not making land, and people are born every day, so that land will be occupied and in some in in, in some point at some at some point. But this lady, well, I was about to chime in. Um, so many more questions, but. We always like to ask our male co-hosts, you know, our special guests, this question. So we, 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 we can't let you go, Marcel, without asking you all this, the question. Uh -huh. I'm going to kick it over. It would be a damn shame. A damn shame. <laughs> if we let you go and not ask this question. 
So listen, you have two types of women out there, two types of women, okay? We have woman A, nightlife. She'll be woman A, okay? Nightlife, she's in trade school, right? Yeah. To become a nursing assistant, okay? Right. She has bad credit, you know, a couple of blemishes <laughs> on her credit, but she loves watching sports, okay? She keeps a very, very clean apartment for her and her three children. She has two baby daddies, but they don't give her any drama. No baby daddy drama issue, okay? She has three children? She has three children. Okay. She's in nursing school to become a yes. nursing assistant, okay? And her kids, the three kids, they absolutely love you. But her, and her mom, her mom adores you too. That's nightlife. That's woman A, okay? Okay, two okay. Types of women. Uh-huh. woman B, Kiki. Woman B, she makes over $150,000 a year. She has good credit. And she is a homeowner. She don't like sports. Kiki don't like sports, okay? Mm-hmm. I do like the races, but we don't like sports <laughs> for this example. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm a boss, so I'm out here. I don't have time to clean up no house or cook or anything like that, okay? But I mm-hmm. do love to travel. I love to travel. I have one child. You saw him. But he don't really bang with you like that. He don't like you. He don't like you. He don't like you. But my grandmother absolutely loves you. Right. Which woman would you choose? <laughs> and why? What? And why? Oh, it... It, it be on the, I, you put me on the spot because I've dated <laughs> women just like both of A and B. So, you know, you know, I, I, I like as long as that personality, as long as we get along, I could, I could date either one. Mm, either I've, I've dated women like that in, in my past. So, and they were all good, great women. Okay. Okay. So what's a not so great woman? A not so, uh, uh, <laughs> you really want to know? <laughs> yeah. You told me no topic um, is off limit to the government. Yeah, somebody that so somebody that's that's somebody that's a lazy bum. Mm-hmm. That, that ain't that ain't that just ain't trying to do anything. You know, we trying to build something. We're trying to build a legacy. Absolutely. I get it. So you know. So you and that's and that's vice versa for women. For for women, like they don't want. I, I see it with my own eyes in the real estate world. Like these women that are buying these houses, they are, they don't bring baggage with them. Yeah. They don't. They're buying these houses on their own, and uh, they're not bringing the stragglers. You either got a shit or get off the pot. Like you, it's yeah. one or the other. And, you know, Absolutely. it's a damn judgment company. Because I did try my uh, a little stint at at, at, at you know uh, real estate and becoming yes. a landlord and I said this shit is not for me like you know right. uh, begging grown people to pay their damn rent like you know 
So I said, well, if I do put my hand in the pot again, I'm definitely going yes. to get a mortgage, uh, one of those management property companies, property management company. Right. I think once you, uh, you know, everybody has their own comfort level um, and stomach. Being a landlord, you have to have a stomach to deal with mm -hmm. the general public. Like if you're the type of person that doesn't, you're not a people person and you're not easy to get along with. I mean, you know you, right? So, you know, I recommend hiring a property manager, but if you're, if you can, uh, if you are a people person and you like building relationships, you got to understand this. No one's going to take care of your property like you. Okay. No one's going to manage your property like you. So, you have to, this isn't like a stock. You can buy Apple stock today for $120 and you can leave it alone. You don't have to go to Apple headquarters. You don't have mm -hmm. to go to the Apple store. Your money's going to grow. It's going to go up and down, but it's, it's going to grow at the end of the day. However, when you own a property, you now own a hard asset. Okay. This is something that you can touch, feel, and see and smell, whatever. You have to go and manage that asset. You have to manage the tenant that's yeah. in that asset. And then one of the best ways of doing that is number one, giving them a great product, meaning you give, you're giving them a house that you would live in. Yeah. Okay. Um, number two, you treat them like a human being and not like a paycheck. And number three, you're, 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 you're present, not every day, but showing up mm -hmm. once, once a month. This is an investment. This is an investment worth hundreds of thousands of dollars that you have insured. You need to go see your investment. You need to have that open line of communication with your tenant. And you create the culture. And what ends up happening when, when you all first start out, and I tell my clients all the time, the only tenants you should be putting in your properties are either Section 8 or someone with a subsidized housing uh, uh, a subsidy. And if you, if you don't do that, you're running the risk of chasing your rent. And I like a peace of mind. And I want all of my student partners to be successful landlords. And I want them to have peace of mind. You know, you, you can't be running around chasing rent at 58 years old. You can't be running around chasing rent at 60, you know? So let the government pay you for once, okay? That's what you've been here for, paying your taxes for. Let them pay you and you build wealth. Um, you run the risk when you, when you want to rent it to somebody else and when you have that belief that Section 8 tenants are bad. No, you have to understand these housing programs that exist nationwide, they're run a lot differently now than what they were run, how they were run in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s, where they really, they really pay close attention to their clients and they make sure that their clients are living up to the lease that they signed. So, you know, th that's, we talked about myths earlier that debunks any myths about section eight. They're not all bad people or they're not dirty. And the things you hear, you know, I've had se several section eight clients and they keep some of the best homes. They keep yeah. some of the best homes. And I have clients that have signed five year leases yeah. with their tenants. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's so if we had to, we only have a few more minutes. But if we yeah. had to give um, some additional key uh, parting tips, uh, first you said to make sure that you go Section 8 or some subsidized program to ensure yes. that your money is secured if you're getting into the landlord business. 
Um, right. What would be another first step for someone that might want to, uh, well, that would be an ideal, ideal situation for buy and hold, right? Yes. First date for a flipper, a one that wants to rehab. So first I step. think, uh, the first step is is really identify where you want to where you want to invest. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time to go go in your own backyard, where you live, where you grew up, places that you frequent, uh, you're very familiar with. You go into those neighborhoods, see what opportunities exist there. Um, but it, again, that's a more advanced niche. So definitely seek a a expert out, a mentor uh, out. And, and, and pay for mentorship. I don't care if it costs 50 grand. If you're gonna be in this business for the long haul, for the next 10, 15, 20 years, you're gonna make that times 100. You know, the average rehabber in Baltimore right now is making anywhere between 45 dollars and $85,000 per flip, okay? So you're gonna make your money back over time. Uh, it, it alleviates mistakes, pitfalls, uh, roadblocks, and also uh, it shortens your learning curve. So pay for the education, just like you, you did when you went to college. If you went to college, if you started a job, understand you don't always start out making what you want to make. So you have to start somewhere. And, it, and, and that's if you can afford it. If you can't, you know, you need to, you need to really get on your grind. You need to really start you know, shadowing people that are willing, you know, it's going to take, you might have to go through a hundred people before you find someone to shadow. Like the guy I did in DC, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. But the only reason I was at the right place at the right time is because I, because I put myself in that position. If I hadn't ever gotten started with the network marketing business, which was like $500 at the time, I would have never met this million dollar real estate guy. Right. So you have to invest in yourself. The biggest investment you know, it's not the houses, it's you. Yeah. You, you have to make the investment in yourself to, before you reach any level of success in life. And that's, you invested time into this podcast, Kiki. If you want to invest it in any time and money, you all, all yeah. of you invested time and money. If you guys yeah. didn't do that, I wouldn't even be on this show. That's it. That's it. And that nobody gave you that. Nobody, nobody no. gave you this. No, no. Right? You just create a you just created a, a write off on your on your on your taxes because it's a home based business. Absolutely. So Absolutely. we have to change our mindset before any, before anybody on this watching this recording, or on this live gets involved in real estate. You have to change your mindset, and that takes time. So I you mentioned failing forward. That's a book by John C. Maxwell. If you're not a reader, you can watch. There's a guy on. Uh, uh, online, Les Brown. Follow Les Brown. Guys mm-hmm. like Tony Robbins, Jim Rohn, E.T., Eric Thomas, the hip-hop preacher. You know, watch their videos every day. Really immerse yourself because there's a difference between an em- employee mentality and an entrepreneurial uh, mentality, an investing mentality. I'm talking consumer mentality versus investing. So you really have to, you know, dig deep. There's going to be some soul-searching because some of you watching this have been in the workforce for 20, 30, 40 years, and you have a, a, a one-track mind. This is a new world. So you have to evolve and you have to grow. 
And that's the first thing. You have to be ready mentally for, for defeat because it, it's going to happen. You know, you know, every two weeks you get paid that $3,600 check or whatever. But in this world, there's no guarantee that that check's mm-hmm. coming. So you have to be mentally and financially ready to take on that type of, that type of defeat if it happens. And the only way that, that, that can, uh, you, you, you can withstand those types of losses is if you're, if you're mentally strong. So entrepreneurship it isn't for everybody, Kiki. Everybody yeah. can do it, but it isn't for everybody. Everybody can do it. And what I've, when I say everybody can do it, everybody can become better. Yeah. We all have gifts. We all have we all a gift. Do. We all yeah. have gifts. But you have to be willing to put the work in. If you're not willing to put the work in, this ain't for you. Yeah. And don't let yourself, your mind, get in the way of, of progressing Absolutely. to step out there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, who would have thought that I would be sitting here talking to m- many people around right. uh, across the United States? And so yeah. it just started because of COVID. Like, all right, let's get wow. here, you know, and, and it has blossomed. I've been very happy. And I know that you see the fruits of your labor and uh, so many of the damn shamers also because we we got some bosses out there and they're making things happen and we just cannot allow ourselves to get in our heads and say oh no this ain't gonna work because guess what it will work it will work if we change the mindset so each week we like to spotlight black owned businesses here on damn shame podcast can you tell us more about rei in our circle Okay, so reiinnercircle.com, that's my educational uh, portal where folks go and you can watch a quick video where I give you a real estate investing tip, and then you can apply for mentorship, coaching, or consulting, uh, just filling out an application. You have to qualify, and what ends up happening is it goes to my team, we evaluate all applications, and then my team picks and chooses who qualifies for a complimentary coaching call with me. And uh, I end up doing a 30 minute, you know, consulting call with you. I give you a game plan and roadmap and uh, we do a follow-up. I give you an assignment and we do a follow-up. So you can go to reiinnercircle.com. And if you don't qualify, don't worry about it. Uh, You can always come back and reapply when things get better. Um, it is based off like your credit and your current uh, income, how much you can invest. We're talking about real estate. So I'm looking to, to partner with people that are ready and able uh, to move in this market, in this marketplace. But if you don't yet have enough capital and your credit's not as up to par as it should be, understand there's certain things that you can get, get done and, and that you can put in place. Definitely explore credit repair. Uh, just a quick tip on credit repair. If your credit's like in the fives, you know, or the sixes, you know, get a secured credit card and then start opening other credit lines. And eventually your credit's going to repair itself and start writing letters and getting things taken off your credit report. Uh, as far as investing, you, you need money to invest. I needed money to invest in real estate. I took my refund check and instead of consuming it, I saved it. And I look for the right opportunity. I educated myself. So, you know, you can take the long way. You can take, if it takes you two, two years to buy your first house, it was worth the time investment, right? But you have to educate yourself 
immerse, immerse yourself in information on a daily basis. If you don't have someone like myself that's going to give you the roadmap or the blueprint, you still can seek out this information. But if you want to shorten that learning curve, you definitely want some mentorship. I have a resource for the folks that don't qualify, that don't get that email or that text saying, hey, you qualified for the, the coaching call. You can go to marcelumphrey.com. That's M-A-R-C-E-L-U-M-P-H-E-R-Y. Com. I have over 80 articles and I'm always uploading new articles and videos to that site. There are a ton of videos from past seminars that you can watch. It's just a, it's just a hub of information. So, you know, jumping on sites like that and other sites across the, the internet on real estate investing is a great place to start. But um, MarcelHumphrey.com, uh, REIInnerCircle.com and follow me on Instagram at Marcel underscore Humphrey. I, I do videos at least four to five times a week. I go live and uh, I, I share on platforms like Kiki, Kiki and Nightlife and, and your team at Damn Shame. This, this has been an amazing experience for myself. You know, I had to pivot. I'm a live event in your face type of guy. I, I've done hundreds of seminars all, all, all up and down the East Coast and now COVID hit and I, I have to go digital. And, and I love the personal and the, and the live interaction. But, you know, God said COVID and it's time to grow. So whenever we get hit with anything that, 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 that puts us from continuing to progress, that means it's time to grow. And uh, I believe it, it was a, a godsend uh, for, for this to happen, even though we lost precious souls and God bless those folks that we lost to COVID. I'm pretty sure a lot of people were, were affected. But at the same time, we must go on and we have to have the faith that things are going to get better. So you know, I look at this as an opportunity for all of us to pivot and to grow and uh, look what's happening. We're talking to people at 945 all over the country right now, all over the world. You probably have people timing into this. And uh, it's just an opportunity for all of us to really expand and, and build wealth. And, and wealth isn't just in your assets and in your bank account. It's in knowledge. Like it's in, you know, a good friend of mine, she said one, one day, she said, Marcel, you know, the, to measure someone's success is to look at their children, how their children turn out. That's how, that's true wealth. When your children are doing great as adults, yeah. that's true. Your job, your job is done. You've done well. So I, I, I guess that's like my ending, uh, <laughs> ending statement. And there. That's key. I mean, you know, we all want our children to do, we started out saying this, we wanted to leave yes. behind that legacy that's stronger than what we had. And so yes. uh, let me tell you, it would be a damn shame. But this has been an amazing ride with you tonight, Marcel. I'm I telling you, it. you have dropped some knowledge, given me a lot to think about, and I'm sure the damn shame is as well. You all keep your comments coming. This, this, this live will definitely be... Uh, place up on YouTube after we do a little editing and uh, we'll make sure that we get you the key information. Be sure to tune in each and every week to Damn Shame Podcast. We are here on Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 